Amen, everybody. Good to see you, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you are able to be with us, and um, if you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here, and if you're one of our folks, we're glad. You know, uh, summer is just kind of a mixed bag. Everybody's here and there and everywhere, but boy, it's good to come in and see folks. AJ's leaving. He's going to go preach at Rising Star Baptist. We're going to pray for AJ in just a minute. He led our music. Really great today, job today. Uh, you probably, some of you knew, if you're not here, been here a long time or been here a while, you don't know, AJ's a really great preacher. He's not only great leading our music, he's a preacher. And so um, I'm glad that he has that opportunity to do it. We give him a chance here every time that we can as well, but uh, he's a very talented young fellow. We're gifted with Jacob and AJ here. Today is a very personal sermon for me, a message that weighs on my heart a lot. Uh, I've preached this sermon several times in the course of my career, but today I've never preached it the way I will because I've learned God has taught me this passage is not about forgiveness. It's about Jesus. And uh, we're going to learn about Jesus today. It really is a powerful passage. One of, I think, one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. Let Let me tell you a word about it. Your Bible probably has. If you open it up to John chapter 8, it will actually have John chapter 7, verse 53, and chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. That will be our text today. Your Bible may have a note that says, in some manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts don't include this text. Let me let me explain it to you. Uh, Bible scholars, and I'm not going to go through all of this, but Bible scholars don't believe that this text is where it was written to be. That it has been misplaced over the years. In the very earliest manuscripts of the, of the Gospel of John, it was not there. In fact, most scholars today believe that this passage belonged in Luke's Gospel in, at the end of chapter 22. But at any rate, all the church fathers from the first century on held this in very high esteem as a classic teaching of Christ. The whole church said, this is Jesus. This is who he is. And they embodied that. But I want you to know, when you see that note, you're going to have to be a little puzzled by it, but I want to explain that to you. And I'll tell you one reason that the early church had a problem with this text. And one of the issues about it is that it is so radical, that it is such a stunning view of forgiveness, that God would forgive an adulterer. And that is not the point of the passage, because I want you to see who God is that forgave the adulterer, and then you'll understand it. So uh, I'm going to read the passage this morning to you, and then I'm going to sit down for just a second and let you see a video about this passage, and I think it'll say more than I can say, and then we'll talk about the text. Let me read it to you. John chapter uh, 7, verse 53, and 8, 1 through 11. Then each one went to his, his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then she stooped down again and continued 
writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go and from now on, do not sin anymore. commands us to stone such a woman what do you say it's a trap I'll give my stone to the first man who tells me that he has never sinned. I got four things I want to say about it, and I'm going to conclude with a couple of things. I want you to see, I want you to focus on Jesus. Every time that I've ever done this message, I talk about this passage, and then I go and talk about forgiveness. And it is a story of forgiveness. It's a great story of forgiveness. But unless we know Christ, unless we know who he is, where he came from, what he would do, we can't understand the story. The first thing that is evident here is about the humility of Christ. 
And I want you to notice verse 73, verse 53, and I've always read this as kind of an introduction. I, you know, sometimes I tell you, I'll say, listen, you got to read the introductions very carefully. And for many years I read this and I missed this, but it is, it is so powerful. And, and in this story, it says that each one went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So when they finished teaching for the day, they all went home as we would do. If we had service tonight here, we would come together and we would have service and maybe have time of fellowship and then we'll all go home. And everybody here would go to their house. But Jesus didn't have a house. Can, can you believe that? He didn't have a house. He went to the Mount of Olives. And when the Bible tells us that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, it usually meant he went there to pray. But he didn't have a home. The Son of God came to earth. And he walked with us and lived here. Paul writes over in Colossians, I, I saw this last night, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things hold together. And he goes down and says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Paul said that, Christ was the force of creation. That he holds it all together. That God endowed Christ with all of his fullness. So you could look at Jesus and you would see God. But yet when everybody went home, he had no home. Can you imagine that kind of humility? I mean, can you imagine what that means? Jesus said earlier in Matthew, he said, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his hand. That's who Jesus is. When he came to earth, he gave it all up. He didn't give it up to become a pauper. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. He gave it up because he wanted us to see him as he was. Without all the trappings of heaven. Completely humble. He won't always be like that. We're studying the book of Revelation and we saw a picture of the glorified Christ in Revelation. That John, the, the beloved apostle that wrote this book. And later we'll see that when he laid at, at the Lord's Supper, he put his head on the breast of Jesus. But when he saw Christ in all of his glory, John said he fell as though he were dead. That's Jesus. Also, but today, then he was humble. You saw him in the picture, probably accurate, dirty, rough clothes, long hair, not because it was stylish, but because you just didn't cut your hair and probably had a beard because there weren't razors to trim it. He was humble in every way. He came to earth as a man. The second thing I want you to see we learn about his holiness and his wisdom. Jesus here was teaching. And when a, when a, a teacher came and sat down, he went to the temple. And, and it, it says at dawn. So a teacher of the law, a, a good Jewish teacher would come together at, 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 at dawn. And he would, he would sit down. And all of his students would gather around him. 
So Jesus sat down and all the people were coming to him. You can imagine that everywhere that he went, he drew a big crowd. Not just because of what he did, but because of what he had done. He'd healed people. He'd turned water to wine. He made the man at Bethsaida who'd been lame for 40 years. He just got up and walked away. I mean, he had done some powerful things. But he had some powerful words. So when he started talking, everybody listened to him. Big crowd. Not all the religious people, but all the regular folks. They came and listened to him. He sat down and the crowd gathered around him. He was full of wisdom and authority. He, he was completely holy. The Pharisees now were one of the four groups of a sect groups of religious leaders in, in Israel. And their job, their life's ambition was to fulfill and carry out the law in every way that they could. They, to say that they were fastidious about the law is an understatement. They were obsessive about the law. They would go way overboard to try to say they believed in the law. So, so what they would do is they would spend their whole life obeying the law. And then they would tell everybody else in all the ways that they didn't obey the law. They wanted to let you know that they were obeying the law and you weren't. That was their style. They were very proud men. They knew the law in and out. And I'm going to tell you, they battled with Jesus from the first day they met him. They, they were at complete odds with him. They were threatened by him. He did not speak highly of them. And you know, Jesus would speak tenderly and kindly to sinners and he would speak pretty rough and harsh to these guys. He saw right through them. So they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now adultery was a terrible sin in that day. In fact, under the law of Israel... The law that God had given Israel, it was a capital offense. We can't hardly perceive of adultery being a capital offense. Our society just laughs about it. I will tell you that adultery is as much a sin today as it was then. We don't execute people for it. But it destroys families. It destroys homes. destroys marriages. It's a terrible sin. And... And you know, our society has a way of taking sin that used to be a sin and changing it. That's not the way it works. I don't have authority to change sin. What God's law says is God's law. That'll never change. It's Thomas. They brought this woman there. But there's some things missing with this woman. There's no man. The Bible tells you, if you look in your Bible, it says that she was caught in the act. They caught her in the very act of adultery. They walked in the room where she was. And, and you know, to commit adultery, she wasn't alone. So there was a man somewhere. But they didn't bring the man. There's there's no justice for him. In fact, the, the Pharisees were really careful. They said, uh, uh, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. It also commands you to stone the man. But he's not there. There's no mention of him. I'm just telling you this. I'm, I'm just telling you this because their motives weren't very clear. They weren't very pure. They were trying to make an example out of Jesus. They were going to put him in a spot that he couldn't get out of. They were going to force him to either deny the law... 
or to commit a sin himself. And if he said to stone or to stone the woman, he would violate Roman law because the Romans said in order to execute somebody, you had to take them through a Jewish court to a Roman court and only the Roman court could assign death. So here they had a problem. They had a real serious issue. They could never, they could never fix this any other way. They thought we got him. He can't get out of this one. So Jesus stooped down and started writing something on the ground with his finger. We preachers make a lot about that. We always have some points about it. Sometimes we say that Jesus may have written the sins of the people out there. That would have been telling, wouldn't it? They want to go to this woman accused and Jesus starts writing their sins down because he knows them. Maybe, maybe he's thinking Jeremiah 17 verse 13, which says, Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from me will be written in dirt for they've abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. He could have been thinking about that. But we don't really know. Anything that we say is speculation. And, and it's interesting that John mentions twice in this passage that he stooped down and wrote. He stooped down and started writing on the ground. But they persisted in questioning him. And so he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone. That's good. So Jesus, see, acknowledged the law. It was his law. He, he's God in the flesh. He understood the law better than the Pharisees did. He knew exactly what that said. And they were exactly right. But Jesus looked out there and he saw the heart of all those people. And he knew what that looked like too. I think whenever I read this, And whenever I want to be accusatory, and whenever I want to pick a sin out on somebody and say, well, their sin is worse than my sin, then I know the Lord knows my heart. And I know he knows exactly what's inside of me. And he knows exactly what I've done. And he knows what he's forgiven me of. Oh, yeah, he does. So it changes the way we think. So there's Jesus. Holy Absolutely holy. He didn't forgive the sin. Don't, don't ever, don't ever think you can just dismiss the sin. You can't do it. And, and our culture wants to rewrite the Bible. We, we want to change everything. And, and the culture wants to say that the things that used to be sins are no longer sins and you can do whatever you feel like and whatever is acceptable. But I will assure you that God holds us today by the same standard that he's always held us. That never has changed, never will change. God is completely holy and he's all-knowing. He knows our heart. Jesus is not light on sin. Number three. We see condemnation in Jesus in the hard-heartedness, the way he he dealt with hard-heartedness. You know, um, it's always interesting to me, the Gospels, when they portray Jesus dealing with a sinner, he's usually kind and gentle. When he deals with a religious person, he's usually pretty rough on them. Here, he's pretty rough on them. 
He stooped, it says in verse 9, and began writing again. And when they heard this, they started leaving one by one. When they heard him say the first to throw a stone, the first without sin should throw the stone, first stone. So they started leaving one by one. It's interesting, he started with the older men first. I, I don't know. I, I know a lot about myself now that I didn't know when I was 25. Maybe that's it. I mean, that's just human nature. They knew who they were. They knew the kind of people they were. They might put on a good front. They might have a great air about them, but they knew exactly who they were. They had not a chance in this fight. And maybe the younger guys hung around because they thought, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I, well, no, really, I can't stay either. Because they all knew their heart. So Jesus, his condemnation on the hard-heartedness there. You know, you would think maybe if the Son of God came and made that kind of revelation to people that they would respond to him. But they were so hard-hearted. They were so set against Jesus that all they could do is throw their rocks down and walk away with the idea that we'll get him another time. You know, there's, and, and, and you know, I, I get concerned sometimes because, uh, we share the gospel with people that never respond. As a matter of fact, it, everybody that you invite or everybody that you deal with or everybody that you encounter and, and you have the opportunity to share the gospel and how many of those people come to faith and you say, well, they didn't even come to faith for Jesus. Hard-heartedness is a real problem. Fourthly, we see Jesus' love and his tenderness and his forgiveness. Boy, this is the favorite part of the story. And I know you got to love it too. See, everybody walked away and there's only Jesus and the woman. That's all that's left. Just Jesus and this woman. We don't know where the crowd is. Maybe the people that were listening to him, they kind of took a break. Pharisees all left. He's standing there one-on-one with this woman. The Bible tells us that. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. There they are in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and he said to her, where are they, woman? Now, you again, we we crossed this before when Jesus said that to Mary, to his mother at the turning of the wine. You said, that's not the way I've talked to my mom. I told you that if I ever said woman to my mom, she would have backhanded me. But in English, that's very respect. I mean, in the English, that's rude. But in Greek, that's that's a term of endearment. It's 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 a term of affection. He addressed her the same way he addressed his mother. He addressed an adulterer the same way he addressed his mom. I, I really like that. That's, that's the kind of savior we have. And he said, has no one condemned you? No, they hadn't condemned her because they weren't worthy. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. I mean, let me just tell you. We don't know how this woman turned out. The Bible doesn't tell us what she did. We know that she walked away forgiven. And I will tell you that when we encounter Christ, it, it just demands a change. You, you can't, you can't have Jesus and be the same. It just, it just doesn't work that way. And I want you to recognize from this that forgiveness is not tolerating sin. Jesus wasn't light on sin. He didn't tolerate the sin. He said, don't do it anymore. This is a terrible cost. Don't, don't continue to do this. And forgiveness certainly in us is a license to continue to sin.
Paul told us that. He said that grace that we sang about this morning, grace that is poured out, that the more great, the more that we sin, the more God's grace there is to cover it. And Paul said, some people would ask, do I just keep on sinning so that I can have more grace? And Paul said, that's ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. So grace isn't a license to sin. We see how much Jesus wants to forgive us. So what do we learn about Jesus? I have four things. Four and a half. He's very humble. I I want you to see that. I don't want you to miss it. In this passage, we're told he stooped down twice. The Son of God stooped down. (laughs) He stooped down to write in the dirt. And he created the earth. That's the kind of, that's who Jesus is. That's, that's the kind of person he is. He's not humble because he's weak. He's humble because he loves us. And that's how he communicates with us. If you don't know Jesus today, know that Christ loves you that much. Forgiveness from God is a clean slate. When God forgives us, it's a clean slate. Now, there are some of you out there that would say, well, you know, Jim, I, I've asked God to forgive me for this, but I'm, I'm continuing to have problems with it. I mean, I still worry about it, and I still stay awake from it, and I'm still stressed about it. And I'm going to tell you, that's not God doing that, because the devil does that. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the devil came to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants to steal your peace, to kill any satisfaction that you have From forgiveness and destroy your relationship with God. He will do all that he can to do that. To remind you to throw it in your face. But when God forgives you. The Bible says God forgets the sin. Church that is great isn't it? Whatever you've done. That God has forgiven. Is wiped clean. Go and sin no more. Yeah, Jesus teaches us how to forgive. And and you should, as a point, we should learn how to forgive each other. We should learn to get on the same level with somebody and love them and forgive them. We should learn not to lord our supposed righteousness over other people. Because we're sinners too. We should learn that we're all able to forgive because Christ forgave us. So he teaches us how to forgive. We should be willing to forgive. We we shouldn't nurse our grievances. And I don't know if you like to nurse your grievances, but sometimes I like to nurse them a little bit. That's a lot of fun. That's a that's a great exercise in making yourself miserable to nurse a little grievance with somebody. But see, that's not what Christ did. He had a grievance against his heavenly father, against his law, against what he had done, against the institution of marriage. He didn't nurse it. He settled it. It was over. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. And we should never hold grudges and join the crowd. Boy, we like that too sometimes. With Jesus, we learn that sin does not have the last word. But I assure you, without Christ, the last word would have been the law. 
If you and I ever have to account for the law, we're guilty. We, we have not a prayer. We don't have a chance in the universe. If Christ hadn't provided a way of forgiveness, sin would have the last word. Our obedience, disobedience, would be no match for God's holiness. We, we stand so utterly bankrupt that we have no prayer. But we do. Sin can be defeated. Instead of being guilty and judged, we can be forgiven to go and sin no more. And I want you to know that forgiveness is not cheap. A pastor friend of mine sent me this this morning. He didn't know I was preaching on this. He just sent it as a word of encouragement to two or three of us. And I said, absolutely. Listen to this. This is a word from Oswald Chambers. Great. If you don't have his little book on devotion, his daily book, utmost to my highest, you ought to have it. You ought to read it. I have it. I don't read it every day, but I should. Listen to what he said. Forgiveness is only possible because of the cross. Sin is a terrible problem. It has to have a payment. Beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. That God is so kind and loving that he will always forgive us regardless of the circumstances. That thought is based on emotion and has no foundation anywhere in the New Testament. The only basis on which God can forgive is the tremendous tragedy and sacrifice of the cross. Jesus would go from that place in Jerusalem in a year or so after his ministry, he would go to the cross. The forgiveness that he granted that woman was granted on the basis of the work he would do on the cross. Because, you see, God has absolute holiness And you and I have dismissed sin and we've made it so easy and so straightforward. We think that God doesn't care about sin. God doesn't account for sin. God doesn't remember sin. God doesn't even think about our sin. So I can just do whatever I want and God is okay. People laugh and joke about God and his holiness. But I assure you, church, God's holiness is not a joke. It's not a joke. He is absolutely holy. And he knew that not one of us, not from the beginning of time, when he set people in in the earth. And I know that people didn't come at the very beginning of time. But when people were placed on the earth, God knew we couldn't keep the righteous demands that he has. He gave us a law to live by and we couldn't keep it. He gave us prophets to guide us and we couldn't keep it. He sent a savior to the world to teach us and we rejected him. But God sent that Savior to the cross for us to pay the righteous demand of sin. Every one of our sins has to be accounted for. The the sin of adultery wasn't written away in this dirt. It was paid for on the cross. Jesus would do that. So, our forgiveness... Is very deeply paid for in the blood of Christ. But for you and me, for us, for that woman, for all who believe, Christ, if we trust our, put our faith in Christ, 
If we repent of our sin. If we confess our sins to him. And in our faith, Christ will count that as righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Isn't it great? Yes, it is. It is great. It's worth saying amen for. Because God has covered our sin. The woman in adultery could indeed walk away forgiven to sin no more. You and I, we can be forgiven to sin no more. And we should always live in the shadow of what Christ has done. We should live in the idea that, yes, God has forgiven us of a great deal. Therefore, we should be willing to forgive other people. That God has loved us so much in through his son Jesus that we can be forgiven of things that we could not possibly be forgiven of before. That's who Jesus is. That's a great lesson. And church, I hope that you put that in your heart. And that you, that you go home and you ponder what Christ has done for you. And how, listen, and that you ponder the great love that he has for us. I don't deserve that. I don't know you like I know me. You probably don't deserve it either. But he did it for you. And he did it for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Press it on our heart. Show us who Christ is. What you've done for us out of love. We thank you for that. Lord, move us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.